Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of Arcadian Vanguard's Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last. It is my pleasure to be with you once again as we look at Mid-South Television from March 27th, 1982. And without any further ado, the man who will be escorting me alongside this journey from booking the territory, my friend and yours, Mike Mills. Mike, we have a heck of an episode this week. We do. We got some more Jim Ross on commentary with Boyd Pierce, who, oh my God, Boyd Pierce's suits. If you are one of the people who love Boyd Pierce's suits, I mean, Boyd suit is lit, as they say this week. I mean, he is, I can't tell if it's a nice orange color or even red, or it's lots to blend as flowers and looks like, I would think, ferns in it. Hard to see. But this is going to be another episode of Jim Ross and Boyd Pierce on commentary, and we should have a lot of fun with it. It's, I think, red, his jacket and his tie, but it's so bright compared to the blue background and the gray suit on Jim Ross and the black table that it almost throws off the color pattern on the screen. So it really is hard to figure out exactly what is happening. He's glowing red, pretty much. A tropical Yeah, because, no, you make a good point, because you're right. You got the red Mid-South lettering in the background, and then when you contrast that with the suit, he's got some reds in the suit, but it's also almost like an orange fiery color. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but he's got flowers and there's ferns in this thing. And the tie matches great with the jacket. It's, it's very fabulous. And sitting next to him is Jim Ross at the height of his dressing like an insurance salesman phase. And uh, actually, before we get going, Mike, why don't we listen to their introduction right here? Everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce. And listen to this, a great card headlined by a tag team match. It'll be a non-title match, but a wild battle nevertheless, as the Mid-South Tag Team Champions Offa and Sika, the Samoan Warriors, versus the Junkyard Dog and Killer Carl Cox. The Mississippi State Champion is here, Mr. Olympia versus Tully Blanchard. Also, Paul Orndorff, Bob Roop, the big one-man gang, they're all here, so lots of action. And last week, we had a great guest commentator in the person of Big Jim. I'm telling you, Jim Ross, it's a pleasure. Last week, never did I even realize when I asked you to come down here that we'd see such excitement as you saw in Mid-South Racing, but it don't prove that it was not only a physical contact sport in professional wrestling, it turned out to be a battle of the mental minds because apparently last week before that title match, sometime during the week, Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop had a strategy conference with Skandar Akbar and also the big one-man gang, and it turned out to backfire on them with a double double cross existed. A double double cross indeed, boy. And of course, uh, the plan was a foolproof plan. The plan was executed very perfectly. Uh, the championship belt did change hands. Ted DiBiase uh, suffered a very severe knee injury. We don't know exactly the extent of that injury yet, but one thing that we do need to remind the fans that, and we're going to see that VTR here momentarily, that Ted DiBiase did not give up nor was he pinned. The referee's decision stopped the match. That's the great credit of a tremendous athlete in Ted DiBiase. And boy, the plan, the double-double cross, the foolproof plan worked except for one exception. The man that was supposed to walk out with the belt was Paul Orndorff, according to the plan. Bob Roop thought otherwise. It was an exciting match, and boy, we had that on film, and I think that the fans will be interested in seeing that now. We'll see that because Bob Roop was so certain that Paul Orndorff wouldn't be here, and he wasn't here, so let's watch it right now. And, of course, from there, they recap last week's Bob Roop vs. Ted DiBiase match where Roop wins the North American title, and then Paul Orndorff shows up. Mike, or should I call you Big Mike? I mean, it <laughs> seems like Boyd completely forgot Jim Ross's last name, and he looks at him and he goes, and I'm here with 
Big Jim. And then he remembers that it's Jim Ross. Right? It is a little awkward. He hesitated for a minute. It was kind of funny, but I, I've been I've been where Boyd is before, where it's like you're trying to get something out and it just won't come out the right way. And he like I don't know if he got caught what, what he was about to say, just saying I'm here with Jim Ross. He he's like I'm here with Pit. Big Jim, uh, and and when you see Jim Ross, he kind of like chuckles a little bit when, when Boy does that, and he throws it to him. It was kind of funny. Nice little exchange between the two. They recap the angle. Obviously, it was a big one. It was a hot one. Bob Roop finally wins the North American title. DiBiase knocked out in the figure four from pain, and it leads up to everything that's happening now with this. I, I want to say it's a triangle, although DiBiase, other than this recap, is not really talked about, or or I shouldn't say not talked about, but he's not on this episode. So it's really just about Orndorff and Roop and about that dynamic. And then from there, Mike, Boyd and Jim Ross talk a little bit about what we just saw, and they shoot Teresa Bowden with Paul Orndorff. Let's go to that clip right now. Jim Ross, it did prove once again there's no honor among thieves. And last week, we interviewed Paul Orndorff after everything was over, and he was hot, hot, hot. I mean, H-O-T hot. But he kind of simmered down a little bit. They had an interview just before we went on the air. Let's listen to what he had to say right now. This man certainly needs no introduction, but Paul Orndorff does have something that he feels needs to be said. That's right. Let me tell you something right now. Everybody knows out there by now what happened. Everybody knows that I had a title match with Ted DiBiase and that Bob Roop, my supposedly my friend, just like Ted DiBiase said about him, he's no good, he's a coward, he's a backstabber. And I'll tell you what, DiBiase, you said one thing that was true, and that's that. But Bob Roop is the man that deliberately got my core wire out of my car so I couldn't make this to have my title shot. Well, let me tell you something, Roop. It was my plan to start with. Me and Akbar, we all three, four got together. The one-man gang, Roop, and myself. I should have walked out of that ring. It should have been my match. It should have been my belt. Well, let me tell you something right now, Mr. Bob Roop. You have messed with the wrong man, my man, because when I get upset, things happen. And I don't care, Bob Roop, where it's at, when, and how. Because when I step into that ring with you, you got something to belong at me. The only reason I stay in the Mid-South area is to be the North American champion. And I've been gypped out of it two times now. Jake Roberts and now Mr. Bob Roop, so supposedly my friend, my friend. Well, what he done is he used my muscle and my ability. He used his brains to only benefit himself. Well, I can assure you, Mr. Bob Roop, I know what kind of a man you are. And boy, let me tell you something. You're going to wish this day had never came because when I get in that ring with you sooner or later, you're going to have to face me because when you do, I'm going to kick your booty from one end of this ring and to the other because I will be the North American champion one way or the other. There you have it. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Paul Orndorff, a good promo, a fiery promo with Reese Bowden, who I wish I had a still of the shot of him as Orndorff leads the ring. He just turns to the camera and he smiles and he's, well, there you have it. Uh, he's just so calm, enjoying the show. But Orndorff's fired up and Orndorff's looking for revenge. We got some heavy stuff going on here with Orndorff and Roop and Roop screwing over Orndorff. And Reese, as calm as can be and as sedated as he normally is, is just like, well, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I Reeser will always uh, be a treasure. Yeah. You know, Orndorff's mad here, man. And he, he has a right to be. And 
I mean, we're just going to have to wait to see how this all plays out. You know, you pointed out before they went to that, they don't really say much about DiBiase. They really don't. Uh, they, they do mention something later on in the episode or, or surrounding next week's show. Uh, but, I mean, they don't say what's happening to them, but they'll, they'll give an update. But right here, you've got Orndorff, who's really, really hot about what Rube did to him. And, you know, the evidence is there. So we've got to wait to see how this all shakes out because he's plain as day showed you the wire that was clipped from his car that did not allow him to make it to the building on yesterday's episode on yesterday, last week's episode. One of the great things that shows how they don't insult the fans is sometimes in a wrestling promotion, a guy will be involved in a feud and the guy will leave the territory and they'll never mention him or that feud again, even if his opponent's doing something else somewhat related. In this case, Jake Roberts is no longer here. But Orndorff brings that up for the fans that remember, I forget if it was earlier in 81 or the end of uh, 1980, but for the fans that there that remember, Jake Roberts had had a problem with Paul Orndorff a little bit earlier. And Jake isn't around, but they still bring it up. They still bring it up because they know that the fans are watching each and every week, and they remember it. And if the fans remember it, how could you pretend like you don't remember it, which is a thing that WWE is very guilty of. But the fans remember, and uh, in this case, here's a good reason why. Mid-South, make sure that you know that the whole story is a part of the big deal. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. I I for one do not remember that with Jake, but I to the fact that they brought it up, I mean, that was just me. I mean, there's obviously people there who do remember it. So, hey, let's bring it to their attention and realize, not try to insult them and you kind of weave it into what's currently going on. I agree. That's a, that's a good point. And they bring it up during the next match, which is Paul Orndorff versus Coco Samoa. Again, it's an interesting match because Coco Samoa is kind of a baby face and Orndorff is clearly now not a heel, not a full fledged heel. But the fans kind of didn't know who to go for. Uh, Paul Orndorff wins with a power slam. The referee is Jack Howe. Don't really have too many other notes about this. They do bring up the Jake Roberts thing again in commentary, Mike. But other than that, you have any thoughts? The only thing I had was during the match, Orndorff, Samoa's on, like, he he's the, I don't say the aggressor, but he's kind of got Orndorff on the run in the early going, and Orndorff reverses it and, and gets him back, and then Orndorff drops him over the top rope. And I thought Reeser, not Reeser, uh, Boy Pierce did a good job on commentary of explaining. This is the type of, like, little nuances that I really enjoyed and uh, back in my early fandom of wrestling. When he drops Coco Samoa over that top rope, Reeser just nonchalantly, but effectively explains, and he dropped him over that top rope. That's a steel cable running through that, man. That really, really did hurt Coco Samoa. This is like little things like that. You know, when you're, when you're a young fan, it's like, oh, okay. So now, now I'm conditioned every time I see that to know that's going to hurt the guy who just got dropped over that top rope. So I thought, I thought that was real good. You're right. Orndorff wins with a very nice power slam at the end, but that's all I had from it. Yeah. Some of those little things are things that you remember. And um, there was something else in this show where Tully Blanchard takes a backdrop over the top rope and goes to the floor. And it was at that moment that I remembered, oh, yeah, they didn't have pads around the floor back then. But he took like a he looked effortless. He went over the top rope, looked good. He hit the floor. It looked like it would have hurt him. But then he bounced back up. And you remember in Mid-South, you know, guys were it was a hard hitting territory and there were no mats. I mean, most wrestling territories didn't have mats or anything back then. But, you know, it's, it's a different world altogether. He flew, we're going to talk about that later. He flew over the top rope at the end of this episode. I mean, he went flying. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just like little things like that that make a big difference uh, in the product back then. Well, in continuing what the early part of this episode has been so far, the next match is scheduled to be Buddy Landell versus the North American champion, Bob Roop. Unfortunately, this match does not happen. Let's listen to what does happen. This is a non-title event for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. 
at 236 pounds from Richmond, Virginia, Buddy Landell. Well, it seems we have something going on here. Get out of the ring. You get out of the ring. Jim, I don't know what's going on. Apparently, Paul Arnbar burst on the scene inside the ring, pushing the ring announcer out of the way. Now he's trying to push the referee out. Buddy Landell, he wants Bob Root. There they go on the outside of the ring, a confrontation. Paul Arndorf and Bob Root. This is not no match. This is not no match. That's the voice of the referee, Alfred Neely, said this is not a sanctioned match. Get Grimley Smith out here and just get some law and order out here. Get some help. Alfred Neely calling for help, the official referee, but inside that ring. Boy, Paul Arndorf attacking on Bob Root. This is not a wrestling match. Line drop kick from the feet of Paul Arndorf. Here comes Mick Pereira in now. Trying to pull off Paul Arndorf, the enraged Paul Arndorf. Disposes of Pereira and once again takes up the attack on Bob Root. Mike Boyer coming in and meets a kick to the midsection and a wallop to the jaw. Out he goes, and back again, Paul Arndorf. Well, they've got to get Bob Roop out of that ring because Paul Arndorf is doing a number of... coming in now, battling with Paul Arndorf. Arndorf disposes of Blanchard over the top rope. There's the ring. It was not a sanctioned match. It never got underway. Now you see Paul Arndorf waving for Bob Roop to come back. We'll be back. While an action continues after we slow it down here on Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. And boy, do they slow it down. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But really <laughs> good angle. The only thing I... Tell me what you think, Mike. I f- was a little disappointed that it wasn't more hard-hitting. That, you know, it was like he hit Roop and then Roop kind of ran away. And it, I don't know. It just it didn't seem like it was as intense as it should have been to me. Uh, I'll disagree. I thought it was fine. I mean, are you saying like you wish that Orndorff would have maybe used some type of foreign object, like Not a chair? Not necessarily, but or? he just got screwed out okay. of the North American title, and he's obviously mad about it. He just did a promo about it. He's been thinking about it all week. His car got screwed over. So he goes out there, and it just seems like he wasn't as intense. It just, just it didn't seem like he was ready to go for the kill. That's what I thought. I, I actually thought it was okay. I thought he was fi- I thought he was really fired up. Actually, I'm the whole time I was watching the fans and. And that was kind of my judge of it too. They're they're like you know for Orndorf being a quote you know a heel so much uh, during this time period, they were like get them. I mean, you could the, the look on their faces and the reactions. They were cheering them on, and I thought it was all right. I thought it was good. I I actually thought Roop actually sold it well too because when he realized Orndorf was coming after him, Orndorf was like a wild pit bull. Roop's like I'm getting the hell out of here, and he's trying to scurry away. And Orndorff cuts him off, like No, you ain't. And he they, he goes outside the ring and then drags him back in. But I thought I thought I actually thought he was pretty fired up, so I, I was good. I'll, I'll disagree with you on that one. I mean, um, is it is it that you felt the uh, was it the fans or you just oh, no, no 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 that was the one part that I thought saved it. Like you just said, okay. the fans were so into it. The fans really got, from the moment Orndorff walked out. That's why you start hearing them pop. They're not popping for Buddy Landell. They're popping for Orndorff walking out there. They were really into it. I just felt like, I don't know, it should have been more, there, there shouldn't have been as much space at times between Roop and Orndorff. Orndorff should have just stayed on him and punched him in the face until everyone ran in. And by the way, one other thing I want to know what you thought. When Rick Ferreira hit the ring, for a second there, I thought it was Bob Orton Jr. 
until I realized, oh, it's not, because he was obviously involved with all these guys, and now he's gone. But I see the curly hair get in the ring, and for a second, I'm like, oh, shit, Orton. And then, no, it was Rick Ferreira. I didn't think that, but when freaking Mike Boyer came out, and Boyer starts trying to pull Orndorf off of Roop, and, and and Orndorf goes to throw Mike Boyer over the top rope, and Mike Boyer was like, "White men can't jump" or something right there. He doesn't get over the top rope. He literally hits the top rope, and he looks like a duck that just got shot in the march, marshes of Louisiana as he drops and then rolls under. Mike Boyer looks very awkward at times and it's in a funny way like not in a bad way is is what i mean that actually popped me not not uh not that rick ferrer looked like orton and then tully comes out and this is what you were talking about a second ago tully takes that backdrop over the top rope to the outside it just really really looked good as he tried to you know uh, help uh or stop it a, a good um I think uh, to the point you're making though something that may have made it a little better and this is you know 2020 hindsight if more of the kind of faces would have pulled Orndorff off of Roop instead of well, just sending out the they sent out, uh, maybe, but I don't think I don't so know. because he wasn't a face. Remember, the face is still on trust. Yeah. Why would they save him? Why would they help him? Why would they get involved? You know, they, they don't like either one of these guys. Neither one of these guys has been in the babyface locker room. So the babyface still don't trust him. Yeah. So you send out the guys that you send out there who aren't really, you know, I don't want to say anything special, but my point is they're not anything special in Mid-South at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right there. I thought it was, I thought to me though, um, I thought it was intense enough for my liking. Well, let's see how uh, the intensity drops on the next match. Next match, Mike, is Mike Boyer, your favorite, versus Iron Mike Sharp. Iron Mike Sharp wins with a backbreaker. Jack Howe is the referee. I didn't have much to say about this match, but Mike Boyer and his hairdo. I was (laughs) fascinated by just watching it. Everything Iron Mike Sharp did to him, and I'm watching him sell, and I'm looking at that hair, and I'm just like, how do you go through life looking like that? I mean, and I'm not saying like, oh, what an ugly man. You Look, you're born a certain way, but the hairdo. I'm looking at that hairdo. I'm like, how do you meet women? How do you, how do you go to a store? Like, how do you do anything with that hairdo? It just kind of stands straight up and bounces around a little. It's really curly. He's He is just like, I mean this. In a good way, it's a comedy way almost. Not intent, not not that he intended it to be comedy, but when you look at it through two thousand eighteen eyes, he's just a weird looking dude. And the way he flops around the ring is even weirder. I mean, he takes a backdrop and he goes flying sideways, and he just looks so awkward. And Sharp is just tossing him around, and Boyer just he just looks goofy. I don't know how else to say it with his hairdo. I wish there was more footage of him when he was in the California hippies and all the earlier stuff he did, because I never really got to see much of that. I got to see this. I got to see him in Memphis, obviously, when he did the losing streak gimmick in, I think, 87 in the UWF. But I'd like to actually see Mike Boyette, Mike Boyer, whatever we're going to call him, in his earlier days when he actually got a little bit of a push in different places. It'd probably be interesting, kind of the same way, like with Frank Monty, where we'll see him. Fabulous Frank Monty. We know him as just I've ca- I started to call him permed Frank Monty on the mothership page. It, it, he's he's very permed in Mid-South, whereas I, I got to tell you, we, you talked about this on a previous episode with that picture with him with the with the blonde hair. I, I if that photo wasn't captured with fabulous Frank Monty, I, you I wouldn't believe that was him. It does like it doesn't look anything like him to me. It looks totally different. 
I just found another one, Mike, actually, and it's not the same quality as the one I previously sent you, so I haven't posted it yet, but it is from the cover of a Los Angeles wrestling program from 1976, Fabulous Frank with his tag team partner, Pork Chop Cash. There's a tag team I wanted to see. Wow. That's a combination and a half. And those, a half. Yeah. No, I mean, like, literally, that just to see those two out there together, Pork Chop and Fabulous Frank Monty. Well, Dan Farron got in touch and told me that Frank Monty was actually pretty good at in Los Angeles around that time. He got a good push. The fans were into him. So I always wonder what happens to a guy like that, because most guys don't get good pushes or get pushes and then just turn into underneath guys with no charisma, with no personality, with no gimmick anymore. Like, what happened to Frank Monty? How did he go from, you know, I know he was in the Alaskans at one point early in his career. Obviously, he became fabulous Frank. And then here, which I'm going to guess is towards the very end of his career, because I don't know if he did much past 84. You know, he's just, he just looks bland. He just looks like he's kind of, you know, he's just, he's just there. He's just filling up a roster spot. And I feel bad saying that, but when you see the earlier stuff, it's like, wow, what could have been? Well, I think I mentioned this on a previous show. He's got a nice build. Like when you look at him, he's not a small guy. He's not jacked, but he's he, his build is nice. And to know, like I didn't know that about him. You know what Dan Farron shared. I had I had no idea. I mean, I had no access to that stuff. So when Dan Farron says that about him, it's like you're right. Like what happened that he went from that to then he comes in. You know, and then you see him in mid south during this time period. It's like. All he all he is is kind of a and not through any fault of his. I mean, he, he he's being booked this way and he's, right. you know, he's doing pin me. He's doing pin me, pay me. So we're not blaming Frank Monty. It's just he he's doing the job that he's getting paid for. But he's he's being, I guess, booked so bland is the only way you can say it, because it's true. You look at him as fab. I mean, there's no greater contrast than to go from what you posted and what Dan is saying from fabulous Frank Monty. Just think about that name. Fabulous to Frank Monty with just brown hair, brown trunks, and looking bland. I mean, it's just a there's no greater contrast to go from those two. So it is interesting. I have no idea why he would have gone from that to this. Uh, like, I mean, I know he was booked that way. That's why. But what happened that, you know, Watts or any bookers were like, hey, this guy did this out in California and he was he was really good. What happened? Like, why did all of a sudden he just become being booked as this bland guy? It's, it's, it's a great question. I'd love to know the answer to it if somebody knows. And that's how you transition from Mike Boyer to Frank Monty, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But, Mike, the next match on this show, a uh, pretty cool match. I actually really dug it. The Samoans, I was about to say wild Samoans, but they're not wild here. The Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika with General Skandar Akbar, the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, in a non-title match against the Junkyard Dog and Killer Carl Cox. Obviously, the Babyface fans are super into that team, and it's a fun match. It's a really fun match. We get Reeser during the announcements when another one bites the dust hits. He's uh he's kind of got a little step going with his foot tapping it as JYD comes out with Killer Call. The the Irish McNeil, the fans there, they're into it. Lots of stuff going on. JR during this match. This would be a main event match anywhere in the country. You know, I think I've heard JR say that a bunch of times over the years, but I really thought this was a fun match. Were we going to go through the, uh, are we going to play the audio from the, from the, from the finish here? Yeah, we are. One thing I did want to say, and I know we've talked a little bit about it in the past, but if you ever want to see why JYD connected with fans, look at the short bursts of action he has in this match. Cause usually they're short, you know, it's a couple things real quick, but they're quick. He does them quick and with charisma. Like punches, just little things. But you don't want to see the Junkyard Dog in a 20-minute match. 
But in a tag team match like this, where you can hide his weaknesses and he can come in there and just do a few things, he's great. You get to see the charisma. You get to see why he's the dog. Yeah. It, to, to the point you're making, there's at one point in this match, the Samoans go in to shoot him off for a double clothesline. He ducks it, comes off, and hits them with his own clothesline. They both take the bump. You can see the fans. They erupt. Like, something so simple as that, as he comes in and takes back control before they then take back control on him, they go crazy. You know, just little things. So that there you go. That's a good example of the quick burst that you're talking about. Let's listen to how this match comes to its conclusion. It's a good thing he did. The Samoans both double teaming the junkyard dog. Now they're doing the same thing to Cox. Double head button, Cox out on the concrete floor. Akbar instructing him on the floor. Akbar giving them signals to finish off the dog. There, clothesline double. Offense up both waiting on the inside the junkyard dog, taking the punishment. On the outside, killer Carl Cox. Boy, anybody else that I can think of that would have been down for the three count right there. The dog's back up on his feet. Look at that move. The junkyard dog is on. The junkyard dog on two, and now here comes Akbar, bringing him in with a slam. There's not a disqualification right here, boy, because he brought Akbar in. Akbar didn't come in with his own, on his own power. And the junkyard dog now has opened up on both Samoans, but there's no referee in the ring. Referee having been thrown out. Akbar is out. Cox coming in with his trenching too. Cox has got that shovel. Cox is doing a number on the one Samoans and, with that shovel. One on the back, one to the front. Killer Cox with that trenching too, and he rapidly departs from the ring. All the referee's got to do is count, boy. The referee's back in. The junkyard dog is on top, and they win. A great victory for the junkyard dog and Killer Carl Cox. Killer Carl Cox made that trenching tool. It made it come alive and sing a song on the Samoans. Akbar is going crazy. The fans at ringside are on their feet. Cox is coming in to share the victory with his partner, Junkyard Dog. This is a non-title match, but it's a victory nevertheless. They're glad they wanted Cox and Junkyard Dog. We'll be back right after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Okay, you want to tell me that they're not disqualified for JYD bringing Skandar Akbar in the ring and choking him? I understand that. I completely understand. Why weren't they disqualified when JYD took the referee, Alfred Neely, and threw him out of the ring to continue the fight? Yeah, I had the same note because, well, first off, Akbar. For anyone who's familiar with world class, he does that same thing in world class all the time. He would get on the apron and somebody would drag him in. And I've I've seen that. It feels like a million times from Akbar, yeah. but but it's just it was something that he would always do. But then JYD didn't only shove Alfred Neely out the ring. He grabbed him by his yep. shirt and tossed his ass out the ring, tossed him, flung him. And then so Alfred Neely doesn't see Killer Carl Cox with the entrenching tool. And Alfred Neely comes in and counts three and JYD and Cox win. This was, I, I, I get Akbar not being DQ'd, but JYD should have been DQ'd. Uh, you know, him and Cox should have been DQ'd here. He tossed him out the ring. And wow. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that Alfred Neely couldn't see him. He's looking right at him as JYD grabs him by the front of the shirt and tosses him. 
He's face to face with him, and he threw him out. And by the way, this is the second That's time a- that Alfred Neely's <laughs> been manhandled because when Orndorff hit the ring earlier, he asked Buddy Landell to leave. Buddy leaves. He says leave. Reeser kind of gently walks out. He pushes Alfred Neely to get out of the ring, and then Alfred Neely immediately runs over to the microphone. Stop giving Alfred Neely the microphone, and he gets on the uh, the microphone next to Boyd <laughs> and Jim Ross talking about like they need the matchmaker, they need help. But uh, yeah, Alfred Neely, another. This time he gets bumped, and he still counts the pinfall. So maybe that wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe JYD was not supposed to actually make uh, contact with the referee, and they still went with the finish because they knew Watts would get mad at JYD and not the referee in that situation. Uh, that's a possibility. I can see that. But you said something here. <laughs> Alfred Neely's been getting manhandled in this episode. He's just getting tossed around like a ragdoll, man. Oh. Well, our next finish. match, Mike, the one-man gang. I almost forgot about him. I know you mentioned earlier, of course, him and Akbar were a part of the scheme the original scheme with Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop to get the North American title from Ted DiBiase and uh, did not go originally as planned. But the one-man gang and Akbar did what they were supposed to do. It's just Roop and Orndorff had a problem. And in this match, one-man gang versus Terry Gibbs. I don't have too much notes. One-man gang wins. The only note I had is there was a newcomer in the front row, this guy who keeps standing up and taking photos with his camera and his belly keeps getting shown. Yes. That's the only note I have for this whole match. Yeah, he's a big dude. Maybe he's related to Mike Lano. I don't know. He's um, He's got a striped green shirt on, and he's taking pictures with his looks like a 35-millimeter camera, and he's just standing up. He keeps standing up the whole time, and he, his belly gets exposed every time he does so. He's a new guy. I haven't. You're right. I haven't, I haven't seen him in the past. If he was there, I didn't notice him. A newcomer to the front row, but all the other regulars, for the most part, are here. The old lady, the man with the cowboy hat, a little bit pushed more to the left than usual, but everyone else is here. You ever know? You notice? Not enough. Uh, not enough. Think about it. It was just him, and to the to the to the left of him, as we're looking at him, is the old people, and then to the right is the younger crowd. The the younger girl. I'll call them teenage girls. Maybe they were in their twenty, early twenties. But you know what I'm saying. So he's like, um, he's like the line of demarcation of something or something between those uh, folks. So he I don't slid know. in there. There's no way he didn't slide in there and say, right. "I'm going to sit dead center and I'm going to take pictures and I'm going to stand up." Like what the fuck? We've never seen this guy before. If I was one of those other people, if I was Hank over there with my cigarette, I would stick that cigarette right in this guy's eye. Um, here's here's something I'll ask you. You're you're much more of a wrestling historian than I am. Is it a possibility that he's there taking pictures for some magazine or or something? I, I'm I, again, I'm just shooting in the dark. I have no clue because he saw. Because I, I look back at it, he was talking to. There's a lady in pink to uh, to the left of him that she's talking to him from time to time. I can't say conclusively, obviously, but I don't think that was one of the photographers okay. for the. Because I don't remember also seeing too many photos from the TV tapings, Me uh, either. or at least from that angle, from being camera side shooting out. Because then you would get to see the ring, and you would also see Boyd and Jim Ross in the background. And I don't remember ever seeing shots like that. Yeah, not not only that. I mean, if you're taking pictures from that angle, you're going to be able to see like. Um... The, the, just a blank, you know, a wall, uh, essentially, uh, behind the wrestlers from because from from the angle we're we're viewing from the camera, the hard camera it's just I mean, it's just a wall back there. There's no people back there. Uh, so you're probably right. Um, I just again, I was just taking a shot in the dark, had no idea because he's definitely out of place as we uh, as we bore the people about this guy with the green and a 35 millimeter <laughs> camera, uh, 1982. Uh, you're right. Uh, the gang wins 747 splash. I don't think they called that at the time, but Not they yet, no. Yeah. It would become that, though. I was thinking about that while we were watching it. I think it must have been Gary Hart who gave him that name, right? The 747 Flesh. I, 
I feel like it had to be because I don't now as we watch this, he they may say it at some point, but I don't ever remember them calling it that this early in Mid South. Nobody ever said it to my knowledge, from what I remember. Well, the next match on the show, Mike, another non-title match: the Mississippi State Champion, Mister Olympia, versus Tully Blanchard. It's interesting. Tully was on last week's show. Tully is a part of this television taping. He's a part of a few others after this. For the most part. I don't think he works the whole territory. He does a few towns in Louisiana. I don't know if he ever worked any of the Oklahoma towns when they opened up. But I wonder, I got to look into it. What was going on here? Because obviously Tully is the son of Joe Blanchard and working with Southwest Wrestling, the Blanchard's wrestling company. What was he doing here? Was there some kind of thing in play between Southwest and Mid-South? Why exactly was Tully here for these TV tapings? I I would be curious to know that because I, I have no idea. And I vaguely, re- I mean, I, I don't really remember Tully a whole lot from Mid-South. I mean, I remember him coming in during this time period, but I, it, it was kind of random. Like, they're, I mean, they never really did anything with him. Uh, I didn't even realize, like, he was, as far as which towns he may have been working, but I'm curious to know if, if someone knows out there or, or when you look into it further, what, what the deal was here and uh, his, you know, his appearances in Mid-South. Let's listen to a little bit about this match. Jim Ross puts Tully over here. Tully Blanchard is a rugged individual indeed, and of course, a lot of the fans in this area may not be well-versed on this young man's background. He's probably one of the most celebrated high school athletes ever to come out of the great state of Texas, and boys, we both know some of the greatest athletes, not only football players, wrestlers, basketball players, baseball players. Texas is a great athletic state. This young man came out of high school with one of the greatest records, a tremendous high school athlete, went on to West Texas State University, an all-Missouri Valley Conference quarterback. A quarterback, a thinking athlete, and uh, just a tremendous, tremendous athlete. And this should be a great confrontation between, between two well-conditioned men. And, of course, the Mississippi champion, uh, Mr. Olympia, and Tully Blanchard held several titles on his own. It should be a great match between champions. I know that, Jim, but we're bringing it to the forefront now. He's bringing that mental ability from the football field into Professor Rassi. It's proven to really be a valuable weapon to him. And in the past few weeks, we've really seen the mental part of wrestling come to the forefront here as well as the physical aspect so Tully Blanchard in there against the champion of the great state of Mississippi Mr. Olympia you know they have a good match Mike it's a good back and forth the fans obviously are not very familiar with Tully because they really don't react well to him at least at the start the same thing yeah no I thought the same thing I thought they had a I thought these two had a really good match for whatever reason and I think it has something to do too with they just were really, really on their feet for the dog and killer Callcox and the Samoans. So they kind of had settled down a little bit. And this is a, obviously a, a different paced match, but I thought these two went at it. Nice, you know, nice uh, set of moves from each of them, hard hitting, some nice bumps from both. I, I thought they had a real good match. The fans didn't react, but that didn't take away from uh, how good I thought the match was. And JR was good right there putting over Tully with where he's from his athletic background trying to sell the audience at home or selling the audience at home on why this guy is an important figure and and why this is a good competitive matchup between the two and Tully looks really good he looks really smooth he's great in the ring a lot of the things that I think at least for me I'll say you take for granted in wrestling when you go back and you watch something like this just a television match between Tully Blanchard and Mr. Olympia And there's a lot of little things that Tully does that you're like, wow, he really is so good. He really is doing a lot of things that people don't do today. In many ways, they lost art of professional wrestling. Just the little things that he does in the ring. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so as an example, Olympia a couple times shoots him into into the turnbuckles. 
Tully effortlessly goes flying into him, and the impact he makes really looks like it hurts. Just like little stuff like that. And even even uh, Olympia, too, because there's at one point Tully gets shot in. Olympia goes for the, I guess, the, the monkey flip out the corner. And Tully holds on, and Olympia goes flying back, takes a freaking nice-looking bump out that corner. Little, just like little things like that. Really, They both really, really did, had a nice match, and both were really, really on point with everything they did from each each move. Mr. Olympia ends up winning with an inside cradle, but a really good match, a really good back and forth match. And again, that's kind of the uh, the end of the main event portion of Mid-South Wrestling here this week. The final match on the episode, Rick Ferreira versus Jesse Barr. Mike, did you have any notes for this? We start this one. This is one of those ones where it starts with less than four minutes of TV time remaining by the time they ring the bell to get it started. And uh, JR tells us he had a great time and he hopes to come back in the future. And... Then there's like a little back and forth with JR and, and Boyd towards the end of this that kind of gave me a chuckle. Let's actually listen to that. I pulled that audio. Let's hear it right now. Boyd, this will be my, one of the last times I'll be talking with you for quite a while. I, I'd like to come back as often as I can, but I want to say that Matchmaker Grizzly Smith, all the personnel of Mid-South Wrestling are doing a tremendous job, and especially you, you're doing a super job, and it's just a, it's great to be down here with you. Jim Ross, it's our pleasure to have you with us, and this is a personal invitation anytime. Don't wait for me to call you to come back. Anytime you can be here, you're always welcome. The fans really appreciate it. You have the inside information you have. <laughs> refereed, you have announced, you have your own area programs and in other sports as well as professional wrestling. You're on the network with the professional rodeo. So anytime you can be here, the welcome mat is out. We appreciate your insight and coming with us. I do appreciate that. I hope to come back more and more uh, more often. Tremendous tackle there coming off the ropes for our hit. Well, there you hear Jim Ross saying goodbye, saying he'll be back soon. It's interesting, Mike, if you look at the timing of it, he hosted last week's show with Boyd and this week's show, and this is right around the time they start getting back into Oklahoma and Little Rock, Arkansas, a lot of the towns that were Leroy McGurk towns where people saw Jim Ross on TV. So it's good timing to have him there to familiarize those fans who were not previously getting the Mid-South show with the Mid-South talent. Yeah, because I guess if they see Jim Ross, they are more apt to buy the product. They when I say buy, I'm not I'm literally meaning. I know what money. you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, they yeah. they see Jr. It's a familiar face, and all of a sudden, oh, okay, I've got even more of a connection with this product now that is on in my area because look, Jr. is on commentary. No finish this match. They go to the television time. Alfred Neely does not get hurt or manhandled during this match, which is a good thing, I guess. And the crowd is uh, emptied out. You start seeing it in the bleachers. The bleachers have emptied out during this match. Yeah, you get the holes in the bleacher again at the t- at the same time. But they did mention one other thing. I said this earlier in this episode. They mentioned multiple times they uh, there would be an update on Ted DiBiase's injury, and they say it's going to be next week. So we will have to stay tuned for that. But as you said, uh, no, you know, show ends with no decision on this match as TV time expires and the bleachers are emptied out. Well, another good episode of Mid-South Wrestling this week, and it'll only keep getting better and better in the weeks ahead. I can't wait till next week's show, and uh, lots of good things are going to be happening. As we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. And of course, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast, available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast, or at 605Pod.com classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike, 
How can the fans stay in touch with you and booking the territory? You can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. You can listen to Booking the Territory twice per week on Thursday and Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Just go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod is the best way to find the show and download it to the device of your choice. Two shows a week. Thursday nights is our NWA Saturday night show, along with many other topics. And on Sunday nights, we do the Smoky Mountain Wrestling podcast recaps, where we go through each and every week of Smoky Mountain Wrestling from 1992 and Jim Cornette's promotion. So yeah, come check us out. Have fun. The show is very, very unprofessional. It is not politically correct. So you have been warned about the language that you may hear when you come along. But follow me on Twitter and come enjoy us and we have a good time. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Mm-hmm.